My son-in-law, Luke Proctor, is a preacher, and he sent me a text this morning that I thought I might share with you. Uh, He said, feeling a little extra pressure for all of us to preach well this morning, uh, the Cubs in the World Series must mean Jesus is about to come back. I don't know if that's a sign that Jesus is about to come back, but we know he is, don't we? And we need to be ready for him when he comes back. If you're ready for him, praise God. If you're not ready for him, we can help you get ready for him. I have to tell you about an incident that happened just recently on a vacation that Cindy and I took together to the state of Wisconsin Uh, Most of our vacations are very well planned out. Cindy is a a detail kind of person. She normally will have it mapped out where we are going, where we are going to stay, what we are going to do. Uh, Every day is planned out in a pretty detailed fashion. But this particular vacation that we took just two weeks ago uh, to the state of Wisconsin, she, she told me ahead of time, I'm not going to plan this vacation. And I have to admit to you, I was a little nervous about how that might go. Uh, We did have about three things that we had intentions of doing. Uh, We were going to visit her niece who lives in Wisconsin, but we weren't even sure which day that was going to be. We were going to go to the House on the Rock, which is a big attraction in the state of Wisconsin, and we wanted to go to a cheese factory. Other than that, There really was no agenda for us. We were just there to see the countryside and hopefully enjoy our time together, which we did. I have to tell you, we were together for eight days in the car, traveling with each other, and we never had one crossword with each other. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, That's the record. (laughs) Uh, I will mark that down. She did tell me how to drive several times. Uh, I probably deserve that. But as I mentioned to you, one thing that we had intentions of doing before we even went was to tour a cheese factory. And we found a map as we entered into the state. We we stopped at a tourist place and there was a map there. It had every cheese factory in the state of Wisconsin on that map. You know, Wisconsin is known for their cheese making. They are all over the state. And so I think it was Tuesday of that week that we stopped at a cheese factory that was in Arena, Wisconsin, and we were ready to go on our tour. But, you know, things don't always happen the way you expect them to. Uh, We found that there was no tour at this place. This really was not a cheese factory. It was a cheese store that was attached to a cheese factory. And so we went into the store and uh, there was all kinds of cheeses that we could uh, purchase. And you, that you could look through a window into the cheese factory and you could see the cheese making process and they had a board there that you could read and it told you step by step of how cheese is made. And so we had read the board. It was interesting. It wasn't quite like being down there in the middle of the, uh, of the factory and, and seeing it happen firsthand, but it was an interesting thing to read. As we finished reading the board, a lady came to us 
who was working in the store, and she asked us, I'm sure she could tell we were tourists, she asked us if we would be interested in someone coming out and talking to us about how cheese was made. And we said, sure, that, that'd be fine. And she left to go get that person. We looked at one another and we thought, well, you know, this, this could be good. And uh, this fellow comes around the corner, and he introduces himself, and he finds out where we are from and who we are, and then he begins to tell us about the cheese-making process. And he is not very far into his talk before we realize... That he's the guy. He's the guy of this whole factory. And he's the guy who has invented Colby Jack cheese. I mean, this was better than any tour that we might could have had. And this guy was giving to us his testimony, you might say, or his story about Colby Jack cheese. He was knowledgeable. And he was able to communicate that knowledge in an understandable way to two people who were completely ignorant about the process. He was passionate about his product. His enthusiasm was just overflowing. And he took time not only to explain to us the process of making cheese, but he was able to answer any question that we might have for him. And hear me say this, this guy took 45 minutes with us, talking to us, particularly about Colby Jack cheese. And when he was done, it was like he offered an invitation to us, and we came forward with our wallets wide open, and we bought more cheese than I ever dreamed we would. Now, I have a point to this story. A testimony can be very powerful in moving people towards a decision. And if a fella can be that excited and that turned on about Colby Jack cheese, then surely we as Christians have a reason to be excited about Jesus and what He has done for us and what he can do and is going to do for us. I was thinking as he was talking to us after I'd realized who he was and he's taking this amount of time for us, I was thinking to myself, this is PR work at its best. I'm sure this guy had other things to do besides come and talk to a couple of tourists for 45 minutes. But he took the time and he shared with us what he was passionate about. Aren't we called to be his PR people? Well, sure we are. He has commanded us to be lights in in a dark world. He has said to us that we are to be his ambassadors. He said in Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. In our text today, which is from Acts 21 and 22, the Apostle Paul is giving his testimony. It comes on the heels of a very tense 
situation for Paul. There was an assumption on the part of the Jews that Paul had taken a Gentile into the temple, which was a no-no. And so rather than investigating to see if that was true, which it was not true, he had not taken a Gentile into the temple, they simply acted on an assumption. And so they grabbed a hold of Paul and they began to beat him. Verse 31 of chapter 21 of Acts says they were seeking to kill him. You talk about a mob mentality. This was out of control in a hurry. The same verse says that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. Verse 34 says the crowd was in an uproar. Some were shouting one thing and some were shouting another. Verse 35 talks about the violence of the mob. It was indeed a volatile and life-threatening situation for Paul, and no doubt the crowd would have killed him had not the Roman soldiers come and intervened and grabbed Paul away from them. But as they, the soldiers, were taking Paul away from the crowd, he convinced them to let him say something to the crowd. And verse 40 of chapter 21 says, Paul stood on the stairs and made a hand motion to the crowd. Now, I'm not sure what his hand motion was, if it was, if it was like this, or if it's, if it's calmed down with his hands and trying to calm them down. Whatever it was he did, I think God was in it, because the text says that there was a great hush. And that in itself had to be a miracle. Because we're talking about a crowd that was out of control. We're talking about a mob mentality here. They were ready to kill Paul. And now all of a sudden, they're hushing. So for a moment, he's got their ears. I want to read to you chapter 22 of Acts, verses 1 and 2. This is what he had to say to them from the start. He said, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. You know what I get from that? I think people are inclined to listen to a testimony because it's something they can identify with. It comes across as someone who is speaking their language. And such was the case with Paul in this passage with these Jewish people. They quieted down and listened to him when they realized that he was one of them. It wasn't like he was preaching at them and, and pounding on them. He was simply telling them his story. And I think people are interested in other people's stories. When Richard Koss was here a couple of months ago, he had people's attention, didn't he? He simply told his story. The woman at the well in John chapter 4, after she had met Jesus, told her story to her neighbors. She said, come and hear a man who has told me everything I have ever 
done. And as a result, the whole community came out to hear Jesus. Her story, her testimony made a difference in their lives. And maybe you remember back in the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar telling his story in Daniel chapter 4. Already he had had the fiery furnace experience with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had commanded them to bow down before the statue, and and they refused to do so even at the threat of being thrown into the fiery furnace. And if you remember the story, into the furnace they went... And lo and behold, there were four men in the furnace rather than three, and they're walking around, and they're not being burned up. And Nebuchadnezzar looks, and he sees this fourth one, and he says that he, he, he had the appearance of the son of the gods. Now, who was that fourth man in the fiery furnace? It was Jesus. Jesus was in that fiery furnace with those other three fellows, and he was taking care of them. He was protecting them. And after that, as Nebuchadnezzar brought them out of the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar had a story to tell. And here's what this once pagan king had to say, and I quote, It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion is from generation to generation. I'm wondering, do you think He had people's ears as He was telling His story? I think He did. He was more than just a king to them at this point. He was one of them, and he was telling his story of what he had experienced. And so too, in Acts chapter 22, Paul has the ears of these Jewish people because he's telling his story and he's speaking their language. And I would dare say that each and every one of us here today have a story to tell too. Now, it may not be a fiery furnace kind of story. It may not be a dramatic kind of story like what Richard Koss had, but it's our story, and there are people who will listen to it, and they need to hear it. And you know what? We need to tell our story. Let me say this, Paul's story, or Paul's testimony, had basically three parts to it. And I have those, I think, for you here on the screen. These are the three parts to his testimony. Basically, he's saying this, this is who I was, this is how I met Christ, and this is who I am now. Now for a moment, let me develop each of those three points for you just very briefly, and then I want to bring it all down to you and me. The first point, he says, this is who I was. And you can see this in verses 3 to 5. If you have your Bibles open, chapter 22 of Acts, 
Paul's first part of his testimony is there in verses 3 through 5. And basically, Paul says this I am a Jew who was born in Tarsus. I grew up in Jerusalem under the teaching of Gamaliel. I have lived very strictly according to the law of Moses, and I have persecuted those who were not willing to live under the law of Moses. In other words, he was saying, I have persecuted Christians. I have tortured Christians. I have put them in jail. I have killed them. I have stood there with the coats of Saul or of Stephen as he was being stoned to death. I helped put all of that together. That's the first part of his testimony. The second part of his testimony is, this is how I met Christ. In verses 6 and following, he tells his listeners about the Damascus experience. He was on the road to Damascus. He was going there to persecute more Christians. He was going to put them in jail, kill some of them. And as he was traveling along the road, he saw a bright light from heaven, brighter than the noonday sun. And it blinded him. And he's trying to figure out what has just happened to him. He can't see anything except darkness. And all of a sudden, he hears a voice from heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You may remember this story if you're familiar with it. He says, Lord, who art thou, Lord? And the voice answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And for Paul, or Saul at that point, it was a very awakening and sobering experience for him. He was told to go on into the city, and the only way he could get there was the fact that he had a couple of uh, traveling companions with him. They led him into the city, and for three days, he fasted and prayed. And probably you would do the same thing. I would do the same thing. If you had just lost your sight, if I had just lost my sight, I would be worried sick over what has just happened to me and whether my sight is ever going to come back or not. And so Saul and I would be crying out to God for help. And that's what Saul was doing. He's crying out to God for three days. His heart is open to God. All of a sudden, he has been humbled. And his ears are open to God too. And so after three days, a man came to him named Ananias. Do you remember the very first thing that Ananias did for Saul when they connected? He gave him back his sight. Now, if you or I were Saul and somebody did that for us, we would feel so indebted to them, wouldn't we? we? I mean, we would have our ears open to what they had to say to us at that point. And the very next thing, then, that Ananias says to Saul, well, let me read it to you. Chapter 22, verses 14 through 16 and he said this is what he said to Saul the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will 
and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And the account in Acts chapter 9 that gives to us detail by detail of Saul's conversion indicates that immediately Saul went and was baptized. I'm wondering if there are some folks here today who need that same question asked of them. What are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And so Saul, to this point, in his testimony to these people, he has said, this is who I was, this is how I met Christ, and then the third point in his testimony, he says, this is who I am now. And basically, he says to them what Ananias told him in the very beginning at his conversion date, you will be a witness to the Gentiles. And so in his testimony, he says to the people who are there, I am a voice of God to the Gentiles. And, and this hushed crowd all of a sudden was no longer hushed. And the riot started all over again. Simply because they hated the Gentiles. I want to bring this around to you and me today. Every one of us have a testimony that we need to share. And there are people who are willing to listen. They are people who know you. They are people whom you are in relationship with. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're people that you exercise with. Maybe they're people that you work with or go to school with. A lot of them will listen to your testimony if you will tell it to them. And we need to tell our story. Psalms 107 verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Has Jesus redeemed you? Has He redeemed you? Then say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say so. That is a beautiful verse for us. Psalms 22.22, David said, I will tell of your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. I was thinking about this as I prepared the message. Those two verses out of Psalms that I just read to you, they're from the Old Testament. And David is encouraging the the people of God to say so, to, to speak up in the name of God. We live in a New Testament era where we have so much more information about God than what they had. And we have such more clarity about His love and about His grace. The, the, the story of the cross is one that we can look back to. Those folks didn't really understand the cross at that point. They didn't have an idea about really the fullness of God's love and grace for them. And so, we live in a day and age 
where we, we should be motivated even more so to tell our story. Tell them who you once were. And it doesn't have to be a Richard Koss type dramatic story. It just needs to be your story. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know, I have not a lot to tell. I, I didn't come from the world of darkness. Well, sure you did. All of us have come from the world of darkness, haven't we? We have been lost in sin. We have been a people without hope. We have been a people without purpose. And at some point earlier in our life, maybe it was years ago, maybe it was just in the last few months, that we came to a knowledge of the Savior and we realized that where we were needed to change. We needed to give our life to Jesus. And as you tell your story, people will listen to you. Not everybody, but there will be people who will listen to you. And and once you have told them where you were, who you once used to be, then tell them about your salvation story, how you came to know Jesus. Who was it that told you about Jesus? How did the message of salvation come to you and your decision in accepting Jesus as Savior? I'm thinking of my own ex- uh, story. My, I grew up in a, in, in a Christian family. I, I grew up having the message of Jesus told to me all the days of my life. And yet there was a time, and I specifically remember that time where the seed of God's Word began to grow and, and make sense in, in my mind and in my heart. And particularly that evening when my sister, who's about six years older than me, she would have been about 16 years old at that time, she talked to me about giving my life to Jesus, that I needed to do that. And I remember the the conviction that I felt in my heart that night. And it it was after that then that I walked that aisle and gave my life to Jesus and was baptized into Him March 16th, 1969. That's my story of salvation. You have your story. Tell it. Tell it. People will listen. Tell folks of how you came to the knowledge of the Savior. And the third part of your testimony, tell them who you are now. Tell them what a difference Jesus has made for you. He has forgiven me of my sins. He has taken the guilt of my past and it is completely gone. He has given to me peace and assurance of salvation. Isn't it true that so many people need assurance of salvation? They want to know that that there is life after death and that heaven is going to be theirs. They need that confidence that heaven is theirs. And we can help them with that confidence through 
sharing Jesus with them to know that His grace is enough. His grace is sufficient to cleanse us and to give to us a brand new start. We do not have to be good enough. We do not have to work our way there and hope that when we die we've done enough to satisfy Him. No, His grace satisfies our sin problem. And in this part of your testimony, you can tell how Jesus has helped you through trials, how He has set you free from addictions, how He has comforted you through losses in your life, and how He has been with you through every moment of every day. I'm thinking of my own testimony. And we all have a different testimony. Everyone has a different story. I'm thinking of my story. When my wife and I were struggling with infertility years ago, you know what? He was there. He was there with us. Comforting us and giving us hope and giving us strength. He was our rock. And I'm thinking of, of when Jonathan was, was born and four months into his life, he, he was near death. We didn't even know it. He was already in congestive heart failure and in need of a heart uh, surgery. And he ended up having that surgery. And through all of that time and, and the anxiousness, and he was our hiding place. He was our refuge. He was the one who was with us in the in the dark hours of the night. I remember wrestling on my bed and, and being so torn and worried and just couldn't sleep. And He was with me. And He brought me a word of Scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I think Dusty read it right at the beginning of the service that if we put our trust in Him, He will make our paths straight. He will be with us. Don't try and figure everything out, but know that I am with you. And then the raising of kids. (laughs) Once the kids came, the raising of the children, it was not an easy thing to do there were challenges along the way for as there are for all of us who raise kids you know what i found through those challenges that he was with us he was with us helping us guiding us comforting us giving us hope Challenges in ministry. And there have been challenges along the way. It hasn't always been an easy pathway. It hasn't always been a rose garden because I've made mistakes along the way. And I'm human and you're human. And it, has, it just hasn't always been an easy pathway. But you know what I have found in these years of ministry? Is that He has been with me. He has never forsaken me. And He is willing to use me amidst my weaknesses and my frailties. 
And as the kids left home and Cindy and I had the empty nest, you know what I found? He was with us. And as my dad passed away a couple of years ago, do you know what I found? I found the same truth that I have been been finding all through my life. That He is with me. And He is my rock. And He is my hope of salvation. And that's my story. I want to know what's your story. Share it with people. Share it because people are willing to hear it. We just, we need to share it. I'm thinking we need to share it with boldness. We need to share it with passion. We, we should tell our story with excitement. I'm thinking if a guy can get that turned on and that excited about Colby Jack cheese, then surely we can get excited about the Savior of the universe. Amen? I wish you could have been with me for those 45 minutes and heard that fella talk and seen his demeanor as he's talking about his cheese. And I'm thinking, at some point through that talk, my mind goes to Jesus. (laughs) If he can be that, this excited about cheese. I need to be excited about Jesus. Will you share your testimony? I want to read to you one more passage of Scripture as we get ready to to be done. According to this verse, out of Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, according to verse 11, there are three ways that we can overcome the devil. Cue in on what John has to say to us. Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verses 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who, excuse me, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame Him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even when faced with death. You see what John's saying there? Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there are, there are three ways in that particular verse that we can overcome the evil one. First way, very obvious, through the blood of Jesus. But did you notice the second way in which we overcome the evil one? When we share the word of our testimony. Satan is defeated. And the third way when, that we overcome the devil is when we are willing to sacrifice our life for Jesus. When we are willing to become a martyr, we overcome the evil Will you share your testimony? Let's pray together. God, help us 
Help us to have boldness. Help us to just share our story about what a difference you've made in our life. And thank you for your amazing grace. We pray this in Jesus' name.